Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. We have assembled here to talk mostly about demand generation. Demand generation is a very broad topic and people have different definitions at the bottom of it and the methods are also unlimited. So we are just going to talk about demand generation, which scales uh, and not just temporary, but it should build a base for your, for your company or whatever you are uh, trying to sell and, and then build on that demand gen strategy. So now keep quiet and I'll let uh, George introduce himself. <laughs> Oh, fantastic to be here. Thank you, Priyanka. And uh, thank you to those who are attending. I saw some familiar faces, some names of people that have been floating around my network, and I haven't had the opportunity to speak to you guys one-on-one, and I appreciate you attending the event, and I hope you get something out of it. As Priyanka said, I host and run the B2B Playbook, where we've been sharing really our step-by-step strategy for generating demand. We've come up with our own 5Bs framework. And once we figured out what demand generation was and how we can use it to consistently grow businesses, we decided we wanted to release it to everyone for free because that's exactly what we were looking for when we were getting into the complex world of B2B and B2B SaaS. And so we're just creating and sharing the resource that we really wish that we had. And uh, we've been fortunate to have a wonderful response to the B2B playbook, which has been fantastic. And then as a result of that, um, people have been asking us, you know, how can we implement these strategy templates and tools in our business? And that's effectively where the B2B incubator came from. So thank you so much, Priyanka. Very, very excited to be here and talk to our community about uh, all things demand generation. 
my pleasure and uh, myself a regular viewer of george's uh, podcast on youtube and uh, probably the only podcast that i listen and look at otherwise all podcasts are just audio for me so yeah that's one thing the way we are trying to take this conversation is i have uh, questions to ask in this in this segment and the next segment we'll take all the questions from the audience so please uh, be with us until the end and uh, we'll take all your questions towards the end you can put all your uh, questions on the comment section i'll take it as and when uh, we move forward so yeah the first question i have is uh, what i mentioned earlier right there are so many different definitions of demand generation out there what is yours yeah look some people define demand generation as effectively collecting leads trying to get as many leads as possible others see it as pure branding but for me demand generation at its core it's a go to market strategy and its purpose is to build an intense desire in your dream customer to purchase from you now it's comprised of two really key parts there's demand creation and demand capture and i'm just going to run through what each of those are so demand capture is what most organizations start out doing when they start their business and that's when that business focuses on those who are ready to buy your product or service right now so out of that 100% of the market that could buy your product there's actually only 3% that are in buy mode right now and it's about trying to capture that existing demand as efficiently as possible but the problem with focusing on just that 3% alone is that it's like jumping into a swimming pool full of sharks full of competitors chomping at the bits for the same small slice of the market it's expensive to compete there it's very difficult to scale there and it becomes a price and feature war and ultimately a race to the bottom now a typical demand capture activity that many marketers would be doing would be things like running google ads you might be targeting keywords that are searched by people who are looking to buy a product or service like yours right now so that is demand capture that's what most organizations are doing demand creation looks at the other 97% of the market who are not necessarily in buy mode right now. They're the people who are maybe problem aware or they're unaware of the um, solution that your product or service solves. And your job with demand creation is to really build a relationship, win their trust, make them prioritize that problem that they have and lead them to the logical conclusion that you're the best product or service available for fixing it. One more little element I'll add into my definition of demand generation, and you can tell that because it's a little bit long, it is a complex topic. Uh, look, demand generation marketers, they really pride themselves on trying to optimize for business impact. This is in contrast to many lead gen marketers who really focus on volume of leads or brand marketers who just focus on top of funnel metrics. But demand generation marketers try and tie themselves to business outcomes, to pipeline as much as possible. Correct. So again, building upon the uh, things that you mentioned, why is it important for companies to focus not just on capturing the existing demand, uh, but also keeping it consistent, creating and generating new demand, right? Yeah, look, uh, maybe a, a little painful story of mine might help illustrate the point. I, look, 
B2B demand gen, it only works when you're both creating and capturing that demand. And I learned this lesson the really hard way. I was working as a performance marketer for a financial services company. I was a performance marketer for a long time before I was a very holistic B2B demand gen marketer. And as a performance marketer for this financial services company, we were running a lot of high intent, lower funnel channels for them like Google ads. And look, let me tell you at the beginning, it's like we were rock stars. We were bringing in so many opportunities. The founders were excited. They were telling me how awesome I was and how fast they were going to grow. And then we scaled and we spent more and more. And ultimately, our cost per lead and our cost per acquisition, it kept going up and up and up and up. And the founders started to become impatient. I started to lose sleep. I started checking the performance of my Google ads campaigns on the weekend. I was praying things that would get better, but there was just nothing I could do on the technical performance side of Google ads to try and bring that cost per acquisition down. And it was there that I learned the hard truth about capturing demand. If you're only capturing demand, as we said, you're competing for that 3% of the market. And that market isn't necessarily expanding. And that competition is also often increasing. So as you try to grow and take marketing share of that 3%, your costs for acquiring new customers keeps going up and it's unsustainable. As I said, it's like jumping into a pool full of sharks competing for the same number of fish. But if you're creating demand, you're also helping to create more people in market that are ready to buy. And when they're ready to buy, they come to you because you've built that relationship with them. And it's incredibly important to build that relationship before you're ready to buy. And as research, LinkedIn has done similar research, but there's one particular re piece of research from Bain and Co that shows that 81% of companies will not buy from you unless you're top of mind before they start looking for a solution. So if they haven't heard of you before, most won't buy from you. Most companies won't buy from you, even if they discover you at the point where they're ready to start looking for a solution. So when we talk about that 3% that are in market that are ready to buy right now, that whole 3% isn't even available to you if you're not creating demand. It's actually 20% of that 3% that are available to you if you don't do demand creation. And that's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And that's why so many B2B companies really struggle to scale because they're just focusing on that tiny portion of people. Absolutely. This is a, a very stark reality across the industry itself, right? Uh, a lot of people do miss out on this and they, as, as much as I've seen from my experience, and they try to ignore this part of what you mentioned. But uh, yeah, yeah, this this actually is the hard truth. And I know I was smiling all throughout when you said, when you were talking about your experience, but I, I know how painful it can be. So uh, now moving on to what is the framework that you have set in place to overcome these challenges? As I was researching through George's podcast, his playbook, their, their material, I came across your framework for demand gen, right? The five B's. Uh, framework, uh, capital B, capital E, S framework. Can you give me a brief on how does it work? What is your idea of it? So on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. Look, it is our framework for demand generation and in particular demand creation, because that's where we felt there just wasn't a lot of information about at all is how do we actually create demand? And so 
once we figured it out, we created our five B's framework around it. The first B in that framework is what we call be ready. And that's fundamentally about deeply understanding who your best customers are, understanding what their pain points are, understanding what the buying committee looks like, what their journey looks like, understanding where it is they hang out online and offline and who influences them and who influences their decision. It's incredibly important, particularly in a saturated market, for marketers to understand who it is that they serve best, to understand this particular group of people better than anyone else that they're competing with so they can position themselves as the ultimate no-brainer for that select group of people. And that's what that first B in the five B's framework is all about is who are we even really targeting with this product? Can we niche down even further to make it so obvious that we are here to serve these people? The second B is what we call be helpful. So the first one was be ready. It's about deeply understanding a particular segment. The second B is about being helpful. Now, once we've defined and we've understood who this audience is, that's when we move on to the second part of our demand gen framework, and that's be helpful. And this is about developing relationships can happen in a number of ways. Developing helpful and educational content to create relationships with your dream customers and content that makes their lives better is really a fantastic way of building trust with them. This isn't product-focused content, but it helps them in their role. And it's educational and it's entertaining. It's exactly what we try and do with our podcast, the B2B Playbook. Our mission is to make B2B marketers' lives easier. That's our mission. That's what we try and do with all of our content. We're not there talking about our program all the time. We're not trying to sell different services. It's about what can we do? What knowledge can we share from our own expertise, from others that we get on the podcast, to make the lives of our dream customers better. And that's what's available to relationships with you guys. And that's what's able to propel our business forward. Then it's about making sure that awesome, helpful content that you're creating is actually getting seen by your dream customers. So figuring out where to distribute it, how to get in front of people, that's a key part of being helpful. You've got to find the people and give them the helpful information you then get feedback from them and then you make your content more helpful. All the while, you're continuing to build relationships with them. The third B is be seen. And that is about once we have the first two parts of the framework in place, we know who it is that we're targeting. We're building relationships with them by helping them. How do we make all of this go faster? How do we accelerate this relationship building process? Because that is essential for any B2B marketer is we've got to make that process faster. That is where you use paid media to really try and amplify this content not just to your champion, not just to your dream customer, but to the whole buying committee. So you can become this really big business to this particular group of people, but you can do it in a very cost-effective way. You can then start to educate on the benefits of your product as well. Of course, it's important that people become aware of that. And it's also where you can really accelerate demand by selecting a handful of key accounts and putting them into an account-based marketing program where we start to do much more tailored marketing to a select group of people 
that we're really going to get a great return on. And those three Bs out of our five Bs framework, they are our fundamental non-negotiable ones that every marketer has to do. Once they are in place, you go on to our last two Bs. The fourth one is what we call Be Better, and that's about how do you optimize your existing workflow now that you have these fundamentals in place. You start doing things like A-B testing, conversion rate optimization, you get into content repurposing, you start doing more advanced tracking and reporting, email nurturing, all that kind of stuff. Probably stuff that most marketers start with and they forget to do the fundamentals first. And then finally, once you've ticked that off, you get to the fifth B, which is be the best. And that's looking at advanced tactics that is normally reserved for big players. And that's doing things like using neuroscience, neuromarketing, biopsychology um, to really try and win over your dream customers as much as possible. And that's actually just the season that we're finishing up right now in the podcast. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. That's great. That's great. That was a uh, good rundown of it. Um, if you have any resources that I can plug it uh, in the comments of this live, then do share it with me so that I can share it with the audience uh, just for them to read up and uh, do that. Uh, now, now coming to the sec uh, next part of the things, right? Uh, in the entire scene of de demand creation generation, what metrics or indicators do you prioritize to gauge the success of your efforts? Yeah, uh, measurement is a, is a really important one because people try to get demand creation programs off the ground, but they don't know how to measure it. And it's not the kind of thing that is going to generate pipeline in the first 30 days. So you have to be able to understand what are the leading indicators this is going to work and then also be able to look at the lagging indicators and look back and go, hey, this is evidence that this actually worked. And it's very important to keep track of both and communicate them both to your team that you're working with internally and then reporting them up towards leadership as well. So those key metrics in those first 30, 60 days to know, hey, is our demand creation program actually having an effect on our dream customers? It's really looking for things like, are we getting good amounts of views and engagement from our ideal customers? Are we getting an increase in brand traffic? Meaning are people, for you guys, are people searching factors AI more uh, month on month? Are we getting people who are viewing our landing pages that are actually more engaged? They're not just bouncing. If we're putting out video content, what percentage of the video is being consumed and who is it being consumed by? Are we getting an increase in followers from our ideal customers? Are more and more of our ideal customers 
coming to our website and you know great plug for factors they can show you that they can show you website visitors in real time uh, which is fantastic we also use clearbit for that kind of thing and then looking ultimately for a lot of industries it's feedback from sales when sales are having conversations with prospects are they starting to mention the core parts of your demand creation activities if a core pillar is you know, a podcast or a YouTube series or whatever it is that you might do, is that content having an impact on them? And are they mentioning it when they're speaking to your sales teams about what made them book a call with you and why they're interested in buying your product or service right now? So those are just some of the leading indicators that you want to look at. And again, I can send you a link because we have a detailed article on all these metrics to look at Priyanka. Some of the lagging ones uh, and lagging is ultimately what you should be looking back at to see, hey, we've definitely made an impact. Hmm. And really the big one there is how many high intent revenue opportunities are we getting from marketing? So marketing source pipeline, marketing sourced revenue, they're really, really important. But the step before that is how many high intent opportunities are we getting? And that's going to be a really good indicator of your success. Of course, ultimately, you want to look at other metrics like pipeline velocity, cost of customer acquisition, self-reported attribution is a big one as well. Again, I'll link to all of this. Marketers can go through it in their own time. Sure, yeah. I think I'll have to make another post after this live just to give all the resources and, and I'm yeah. happy to watch, honestly. Yeah, so uh, now, uh, just before we move on to the next question, uh, the audience can... Uh, now start putting their questions in the comments. Uh, I'll definitely take take it up uh, once uh, our question answer round is done. Uh, so yeah, feel free to put on put in your comments on the comment section. Uh, yeah. So the next question from from my side to you is that uh, now you also talked about lagging metrics and all of that, right? While you were researching on these metrics and while you were talking to B two B marketers, uh, studying about how they uh do marketing and demand gen what are the common challenges uh do they face right uh as opposed to merely capturing demand what is the problem that they face while generating demands and what's the way out of it yeah look getting buy-in from those around you to dedicate time and money to demand creation programs is a big challenge for so many marketers that i speak to ultimately they need to explain to leadership why capturing demand alone doesn't work. And yeah. that comes from putting yourself in leadership shoes and thinking about well, what do they care about? They care about what you show them forecasts of what is going to happen if you continue your existing activity. And that could be cost per lead or cost per acquisition getting out of control. If you bring that to their attention, then I think ultimately you need to explain why is this the case? show them the research from Bain & Co that says, look, the market is tiny if you're a new player and you need to build trust. Show them research done by big important companies which say, look, if you don't actually do this, you're going to find it really hard and you can't just try and buy your way out of it by trying to acquire as many leads as possible because you're going to run out of time and you're going to run out of money. I then tell marketers that really they need to take the time to try and build out a pilot program for demand creation with a bit of time and budget. Marketers are super busy. You guys have so much going on already. You're not going to get the sign off from leadership to go, yep, go ahead and dedicate 80% of our budget to a demand creation program. No way. 
They're not going to do that and they shouldn't do that. Instead, dedicate 10 to 20% of your time and budget to a pilot program. Just select one segment, dedicate yourself to one activity, execute it and report back on how it went. Document exactly what you did and how it went. And then you have a business case to scale it. If it worked, fantastic. If it didn't, well, back to the drawing board. And probably one more challenge that uh, we already touched on was, look, marketers just struggle for time, especially in a fast-growing organization. Marketing teams yeah. are generally pretty small, right? I'm sure you're time-strapped, Priyanka. And actually working out how to put together this longer-term strategy is not easy. We struggle to do it. We've dedicated an incredible amount of time into this framework to putting it together. And the average marketer just doesn't have the time to do this themselves and nor should they. And so that's why we built our program, the B2B incubator. It's why we shared our five beast framework on the podcast. So marketers can go through, get a head start and piece it together for themselves. It's there for them. They just have to work through it. That is such a smooth plug. (laughs) (laughs) Totally annoying. And this is something I'm going to learn. And then, yeah, I think it's great. It, it does solve what, you, what you're talking about. So everybody go and check out uh, Incubator, B2B uh, Incubator. So, yeah. Now, now coming to the point, that is, uh, so the next question that I was going to ask, I think I forgot about it for two seconds, but how do you generate demand for your own business, the B2B playbook and the B2B incubator? I know you told about what it solves, but what do you do about creating demand? Yeah, definitely. Look, we eat our own dog food, so to speak. We follow the framework exactly for our own business. We deeply understand our customers. For us, that's B2B marketers and small teams. Every quarter we go through and we speak to as many as we can, particularly those who have been through our program or those that we know listen to the podcast. We go to that second stage of being helpful. B2B Playbook is where we create content that helps them do their jobs easier. We give that away for free. It's ungated. It's there for people to access and to use. I distribute it mostly through LinkedIn. That's our greatest distribution channel through our company page, through my own personal page. It's what attracts people to our brand and it's where ultimately they discover our product and it becomes, as you just saw, incredibly easy for us to talk about our product because what we're talking about is so obviously connected to it. We're now onto stage three, really, which is be seen. That's where you're really accelerating demand. Uh, Look, again, look, we plug the B2B incubator. I'll plug factors again. Look, we use tools like factors to see which companies are showing interest in the B2B incubator and in our LinkedIn ad services, and we add them to an account-based marketing program to develop relationships with them. Depending on the size of the company, that looks kind of like making sure I connect with them all on LinkedIn, strike up conversations with them. I invite key decision makers or champions on our podcast to deepen our relationship with them, to understand their pains better, and to be able to progress that. We're also amplifying all of this on LinkedIn with paid media. Again, we're just following our framework. We're amplifying all of this with paid media uh, and we run ads for the B2B incubator. We ran them for the first time um, about six months ago, a couple of cohorts ago, and we got a 38 to one return on our ad spend um, for our program on LinkedIn. That's only because we put in all that work before the work and be ready, be helpful. We built 
demand, and then we captured it with LinkedIn ads. We do all of this on a real shoestring budget with really limited resources. And the, really the key driver of that for us is our content. And we have our one show repurposed concept, which is where every week we put out our pillar piece of content, the B2B playbook that becomes a podcast, a YouTube episode, 12 LinkedIn posts, uh, YouTube shorts, a newsletter, and three articles every week. And yeah. uh, we're able to put out a lot of content that's on mission, on purpose, and and do it quite e efficiently because we follow our framework. That's amazing. And uh, how, how simply you explain it, uh, it's, it's even more, uh, you know, surprising for me because uh, usually what people think is that you need to produce a lot of content to be a better content marketer. But the catch is where you produce a lot of repurposed content and not uh, content itself, right? So anybody who's looking to be uh, good at content marketing, this this is it. You make one long format and then you push it around, make newsletters, posts, shorts. Uh, I think it's, it's incredible uh, value. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great concept and it ensures repetition of message. And as marketers, we, we've got to understand that people need to hear a message again and again. You have to make it available to them to consume in a way that they like. Some people like podcasts, others don't listen to podcasts. Some like YouTube videos, some like reading. And by creating once and repurposing, that's really where you're going to reach so many more people and meet them where they are. Stop trying to force them into what you're doing and into your own workflow. And I will just add that, the fact that we do our pillar piece of content once a week is overkill. It's crazy. We don't need to do that much. We're only doing it because we were so desperate to share our own framework with everyone. And we mapped out and said, right from episode zero, we knew it would take us roughly 100, 120 episodes to share our framework step by step. And yeah. so we have stuck to that. It would have taken us way too many years <laughs> if we did it once a month. So we decided to do it once a week. We did it for two and a half years. We've shared it, but once a week is too much. Once a month is probably fine for most organizations. Yeah, uh, agree. Uh, uh, last couple of qu uh, questions from my side and, and, and I'm uh, promising I'll take up the questions in the comments. From all the content, uh, content variations that you mentioned, what is the best one that has worked for you? Yeah, for us, it's about content that uh, is done with subject matter experts. So too many organizations, they outsource their content to freelancers or agencies that are faking expertise. They're writing articles based on SEO that are optimized for keyword searches and not necessarily for quality information. There is nothing like getting real proper subject matter experts out there, making the lives of your dream customers uh, better improving their lives before they're even looking for a solution like yours. So in terms of content, it's got to be led by subject matter experts. We're fortunate that in our business, we get to be the subject matter experts, but we also bring others on for areas that we're not great experts in. I had someone on this morning to talk about, you know, using AI and mid journey and using that to the fullest extent and how B2B marketers can do that. And I'm not an expert in that. I'm not pretending to be an expert in anything that I'm not an expert in. Um, so we bring them on and that's going to then help our audience up level there as well. 
In terms of content frameworks, there are so many out there. Our favorite one that we create all our content in accordance with is called the five stages of awareness. We've got episodes on it. If you Google it, you'll be able to find information on it. But the five stages of awareness, that content framework really closely mirrors a B2B buying journey. So getting experts to cover these five stages of awareness frameworks with topics that help out your customer, that is a deadly combination. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's something that I also try to do on my lives. I'm not an expert on anything, but I, I tend to get guests from all around the world with expertise in some or the other subject. So it has worked for me. Uh, yeah. So it's worked for everyone. Uh, yeah. Last, last question, just out of curiosity, how did the idea of uh, B2B incubator originate? I think you told yeah, look, about this. Yeah. Personal side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, when we got deep into the B2B world, again, we just found that it was just so confusing. There were all these competing strategies and, and tactics and, I just didn't know what to do and when, and I felt like time was running out because you needed to get things moving quickly. And it was just such a struggle. And as I tested each of these different ideas, I realized that it wasn't necessarily that one was better than the other. It was more about the timing of using them. What should we do and when should we do it? And that's when we ended up coming up with our five piece framework was once we realized that a lot of these strategies actually need to fit together in a mo more cohesive way, that's something that then became repeatable. Once we get those fundamentals in place and you have that strategy in place, you can then roll that out again. And then that's where our five piece framework came about. And that's where the B2B playbook came about. And as I said, look, we're just really dedicated to sharing that with people because that's the resource that we wish that we had when we got into B2B marketing and we felt all those feelings that we know that B2B marketers feel now. Um, I think that if people follow it, I think that um, marketers will get taken seriously again. Somehow we found ourselves as the make it pretty department or the events department and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think marketers deserve a seat at the table. They deserve a seat at the leadership table. Your go-to-market strategy is one of the most important things about a business. It cannot grow. It cannot survive without it. So why we're being left out of important conversations, I'm not sure. And uh, hopefully the B2B playbook is a way for marketers to, to help get their seat back at the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks Thanks for the uh, answer, George. Uh, I have... Uh, three or four questions from the audience. Uh, I'll take it uh, up right now. Shri has asked, uh, how uh, does a self-reported attribution give the right data in terms of actual engagement? Yeah, look, I mean, you're not going to capture everything with self-reported attribution. It can be a bit of a double-edged sword there. Look, even if it captures maybe 30% of people who are giving you some kind of a response, versus just whatever your CRM tells you, that is incredibly helpful. For us, I know that most people who come through our program or use our services, HubSpot is telling us that they're coming through organic search mostly. But when I speak to them, I find out that they discovered us through our podcast, that they discovered us on LinkedIn. And so that's then verification that we should keep working hard on those channels. Now, if I was just looking at last 
click attribution or, or even first click, I would never have seen that they consumed the podcast. I would never have understood that that was where they really grew to trust me, to trust our brand. And so that's incredibly important to do. So I'm not saying throw away your attribution in your CRM, but when it comes to particularly creating demand, what created that demand in that first place to bring that person in market, to start trusting you, just asking people directly, you know, how did you first discover us? How did you first hear about us? That's where they're going to start to tell you the key points in their journey. They might not tell you the first one. Not everyone can remember exactly where they recalled you, but they'll at least recall one of the most impactful places. And that's important. Got it. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. At Factors, what we do is we have a drop down on the demo form fill. And we also tend to ask this question on our demo calls. How did you come to find us? Yeah, that, that's that's great. I mean, look, we even it's that's great from a data collection point of view. We even recommend that people leave that an open text field uh, yeah. because sometimes people can be really creative with with actually and very descriptive about how it is that they first yeah. came across you. I think marketers tend to give better answers when they're filling out forms because they understand the plight of attribution for marketers and they sympathize with us. In my experience in other industries people don't do that as much. They tend to give you much better answers when they're speaking to sales. So that's why you've got to have a good relationship with sales and have a feedback mechanism with them. So you're getting that information from them. Yeah. All well and good uh, until they answer, how did they find us on the internet? Yeah, so. that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's why salespeople are important. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. How did you find us on the internet? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, going on to the next question. There's a question about cold email. So where does cold emailing stand? Is it helpful? What is a good open rate? What size of contacts should we keep for cold emailing? It's like the questions in one, but yeah, just uh, whatever is your answer, you can go on. Yeah, yeah. Look, unfortunately, I'm not going to be particularly helpful here. I'm not an expert in cold outbound at all. That is not my field of expertise. So I'm not going to pretend to be an expert there. One great expert that I do know is Ricky Pearl. He's someone who I speak to about outbound a fair bit. And I'm very happy to link to his profile for that person to reach out to Ricky directly because I'm sure he'll give you a much better answer than I could. Yeah, yeah. Shravika has asked the, this question on my live. So you can find it on the comments itself and tag Aki. Going forward to the next question by Inam is that how to increase effectiveness of LinkedIn ads for a high ticket B2B SaaS product. We have tried providing free resources. It has helped with the volume of leads, but adversely affected the quality of leads. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think it comes back to making sure that when you're putting out free resources, try and map your content to that five stages of awareness framework. So that is what takes them from being unaware to problem aware to solution aware to product aware to most aware. And you're putting out content that helps take them on that whole journey. Putting out one-off free resources isn't necessarily developing that relationship of trust between yourself and them. I think also product education is an important element there. So educating them on what the benefits are of your product become really useful because then it can make those 
conversations with sales much, much more productive. I think especially once you get to the later stages of awareness, when you're looking at product-aware content, most-aware content, that's where you're pushing out case studies and social proof and showing that, hey, people just like you that we have worked with have got this very real tangible benefit from our product. And so we're trying to overcome all of those potential objections from the point when they see we to the point where they speak to you. I would also go and speak to sales who are having these conversations with these people who are turning out to not be such great prospects and finding out why weren't they ready to buy? Are they too early? Do we need to have more of that content about those five stages of awareness more in front of them? What objections do they have? And that's a process that we go through as well, is we're constantly looking for any objections that people have. And we discover those through customer interviews, through people that we didn't win as a deal and finding out what their objections are, turning it into content that addresses it and pushing that out in front of them with paid ads. So I would say for this particular person, look up the five stages of awareness content framework and make sure that you're mapping all of your content to that and make sure you're spruiking your benefits as well. Got it. I think we have one uh, question left, but uh, we can take a couple of more questions. So feel free to add questions on the comment section. The next question is by Shivakumar. Uh, he's asking, can you please share some conversion rate optimization techniques that have worked for B2B SaaS clients? Yeah, sure. Look, and I will just start by saying that... Um... I used to be very heavily into conversion rate optimization, trying to optimize, you know, every little part of our landing page, because we used to work with clients that spent $30 million a year. And so we used to drive an enormous amount of traffic to web pages, but that was more B2C and we had really big data sets to work with. And so a lot of our work was in optimizing that one, two, 3%. Mm. And it made sense to focus on that when you're at that scale, because one or 2% when you're dealing on a huge scale, that's a very big tangible outcome. But I think an issue is that so many marketers look at that as something that they need to focus on. But in B2B, the reality is most of us, we just don't necessarily have the volume to conclusively say that this landing page is better than that one based on this conversion rate optimization that we've done. Instead, we really encourage people to go back, speak to their customers, update their landing page with their pain points, use the voice of the customer in your landing page. And I suppose if you are going to A-B test, I would then A-B test that version against the original. And so every time we have someone go through the program or every time we work with the client, we test their original page against one that has updated insights based on their new set of customers that's really tailored to a, a particular segment and we look at the difference there testing you know different forms and uh other little elements like the color of a button that's not the stuff that's going to make a big difference once you get to a really big scale maybe that's going to make a difference but look ultimately so much of that trust is built beforehand if they're at that point where they're going to book that demo with you, most are going to do it anyway. And so I wouldn't sweat the small stuff, focus on the big stuff. Correct. Got it. 
we don't have any more questions as of now from the audience but i have one last question that is uh, what advice would you give to saas businesses setting up their demand gen motion especially early stage yeah definitely look i think you need to have a plan when it comes to demand creation you can't just do random acts of marketing well oh, i'll start a podcast or a youtube channel or i'll post a few times on instagram you can't just do these random acts to see what catches fire. And I think sometimes when people talk about growth hacking, these ideas get conflated and people think that it's just random acts and see which ones work and we should double down on that. That's not how it works. It comes down to actually having a plan, documenting that plan and chipping away at it in stages. You don't need to go from zero to 100 overnight when it comes to your demand creation strategy. You don't need to be dedicating all your time and budget to it. Just get a plan together. Once you have that plan, spend 10 to 20% of your time of 10 to 20% of your time and budget executing it. The business is probably going to still need you to do 80% of your time with whatever else it is that you're doing, whether that's capturing demand, running events, doing all these other things. Over time, your budget and your time should go more into creating demand, but it comes down to starting with that plan, executing a pilot proving out that it works and taking that to the leadership and saying, hey, this works much better than our original model of what we're doing. Let's dedicate more time and resources into it to scale. So yeah, that's some of the advice I'd give. That's that, that's great advice. I think most uh, marketing teams, when they just start, they try to experiment a lot. And, and I actually get the psyche of it. Like um, the more we experiment, the odds at getting a source which actually works is much higher that's that's how people think usually but uh, your framework actually does provide a lot of clarity for uh, early marketers. yeah and i'll put my hand up and say i used to be the kind of marketer that also said hey you know what we don't know what works let's just experiment a whole lot of stuff we'll take our big ad spend our ads budget we'll test a whole lot of things and we'll just see what works but the reality is like most businesses don't have the budget to do that. And if you just spoke to your best customers and you asked them what their pains are, where do they hang out? What's important to them? What channels they hang out on? They'll tell you all this information. So you can know if people are on LinkedIn without dedicating three months to a LinkedIn program by just surveying and speaking to some of your best customers. You don't need to waste the time and money doing that. You just got to speak to them and find all that out. And I learned that the hard way. It's it's so much easier just speaking to people. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand this because when uh, we'll, we'll actually do an episode about it from Shree's account, who's our founder, where we'll talk about what mistakes you found non-marketing founders actually did and what actually works out and what we did were very stark, but, but, but it actually does come from experience. And if we share our experiences like this with the audience, the time saved by new marketers will be way too high. And that, that's just how community engagement works, right? We learn from each other's mistakes. So uh, I think we have one last question from the audience where, uh, what is the importance of consistent content generation versus volume of content? when it comes to digital marketing? Yes, I would say consistency is the most important thing. So we love to do a crawl, walk, run approach to make sure that 
you don't burn out. So when it comes to creating a demand program, that's why we love starting with a pillar piece of content. And that is just one piece of content that you can commit to every month with the subject matter expert talking about something that is relevant to your business and to your dream customer. Commit to that once a month. And then I would take the next step and say, okay, based on what we know about our dream customers, what is the best channel for us to distribute that to? And don't try and post five, 10 times a week about it from the beginning. Set yourself the challenge of, can I post three times a week, just a text post or maybe just a photo post just to get that down? What does that system start to look like going from the conversation that we record once a week to turning that into LinkedIn posts, just three of them, then up it to five once you get that down. And then maybe you start learning how to repurpose some video and that's the next step. And then after that, maybe you start to look at, well, how can we start turning that into newsletters? And then once you're consistently doing that, you're saying, okay, what about articles? So we just layer on what we're doing. And every time you get a process down, you document how it is that you're doing that. Because if you document it, you can either outsource it or you can insource it to someone else in the organization. But if you're the one who's only doing it by yourself and you're not documenting how this repurposing process is happening, no one can help you and it's only up to you. So crawl, walk, run. That was our approach. That's what worked really well for us. And that's what makes content creation so easy and consistent for us. Looks like George has a framework for uh, every problem on our comment section. Definitely <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> agree, agree with this notion that usually what people think when they start doing content uh, that we should optimize on date, time, when can we get so many viewership and again, like I understand where they are coming from, but the most important thing that I have learned and anyway, I used to follow this even before I started doing content on LinkedIn or lives is that you do it consistently so that your audience is programmed to uh, understand that Priyanka is going to be live on either Wednesday or on Thursday of every week. Uh, it can be 7 p.m. IST, it can be 8 p.m. IST, it can be 10 a.m. IST, depends on what it is, but she will be live. She will come live with some guests. So th this is something that one of my friends, Troy, told me while much before, like a year before. And this has stuck with me like nothing. And this is what actually works. Rather than doing combination and permutations on what is the exact time date to produce a content or to go live or make a video is is not a, not in our control what actually is in our control is doing it consistently and programming your audience to think in a way that you are going to come talk to them so you better come and talk to them rather, rather <laughs> than <laughs> doing that it, it's a lot about mutual respect right like your audience expects you and uh, turn up and you also respect the audience to turn up so you both of you together do this content creation. Yeah, so I, I, I interrupted you. Go on. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, I think that's a fantastic way to uh, look at it. I completely agree. Yeah. And I, I think the key thing there is also you set a time in your own mind that you had to turn up, 
no matter what as well. And that's what really leads to consistency. I think we dedicated to releasing our podcast Monday morning, every single morning we've done a hundred and 20 episodes in a couple of years. So almost an episode every, every, every week. single week, actually more. Yeah. More. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, it'd be two and a half years. So pretty much an episode every week, every week, yeah, no matter what. And, and it was just a matter of turning up and committing to it. And if you go back and listen to episode one, we were horrible. It's so embarrassing to go back and listen to it, but we committed to the process. We turned up. And then we slowly added different ways of repurposing it and turning yeah. it into a proper demand engine for us. Yeah. Yeah. Remember how, how when we were trying to set up a time and there was a clash between one one meeting that I had and a, and a call that you had, but I said, yeah. that, you know what, I'll cancel the meeting, right? Like uh, that <laughs> I had to do this live because I, I wasn't on the platform for a long time. And uh, I thought that was my priority. And uh, people turned up, so I'm I'm okay even if ten people watch me talk. So <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I have one last question. That is, uh, can you please share your thoughts on which LinkedIn ad format works best for demand gen? Uh, which ad format best for demand capture? Yeah, look, there, there's no best format. Something that we love to do is for you know, we love to map all that content to the five stages of awareness, as I've spoken about. Now for audiences that don't really know us and we want to build a relationship with them, there are cold audiences. We love to use a video format, video format that really speaks to a pain point that they're having, that really helps them, that helps them do their jobs better. Video formats that uh, starts to progress them to those next stages of awareness. Why we love using video is it's actually cheaper and we can reach more people at a cheaper cost. And then we can start to measure based on those people who viewed that initial round of video ads, which of them viewed our video to 50%, which of them viewed to 75%. And then all of a sudden we can start to get an, an idea as to of these people who viewed this ad, which ones are actually interested in this problem right now? Which one of them are actually more likely to be closer to being in market to buy? And then we can start to retarget them. And we can do all of that on platform. We don't have to get people to our website to then remarket to them, to then start pushing all this other remarketing to them. We can do it in a much more cheaper, much more cost-effective way with video in uh for those cold audiences so use that i think there are other formats which also have different kinds of engagement like carousels you can see people who have swiped that kind of thing you can use that principle there but yeah formats which show engagement on platform for those that are cold where you want to be more cost effective definitely do that and then when it comes to actually capturing demand um honestly it it they can all work. They can all work. I would test them all. Single images tends to work pretty well. Video works pretty well. Just play around with them. But I think probably my key piece of advice is for those cold audiences where you need to figure out who's more lo- likely to be in market, use video to do it because it's cheaper. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Shiva, I have had guests from the LinkedIn team itself, like uh, their customer success managers, uh, agencies that run 
uh, LinkedIn ads, I can definitely tag them or you on the comment section so that uh, uh, they can actually give you the experimental results that they have seen uh, rather than, you know, projections. So that that's something that I can help you out with. I'm definitely not an expert on LinkedIn ads, but I can uh, tag uh, people who have actually done those studies, you know, uh, experimentally that what works, what doesn't work. So uh, that's something I can do. Uh, I think we, had, we have been talking for an hour now. And uh, before before LinkedIn shuts us up, <laughs> let's let's wrap up uh, uh, quickly. Thank you everyone who has joined in and uh, everyone who has asked such great questions. Uh, thanks a lot, George, for coming in for in, in such a short notice. Uh, thanks for the uh, incredible preparation that you have done. And uh, nice to uh, catch up with you and like how most Indians and Australians connect. That is over cricket. That's how we <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and, uh, and it turned out to be a great connection and a great friendship looking forward to working with you more and host you again sometime soon so yeah uh, last comments from you and then we'll uh, log off yeah absolutely look thank you so much for having me thank you to the people who who turned up and left really thoughtful comments i really appreciate it it's been an absolute pleasure connecting with you priyanka and uh, everyone else who's joined i guess i would just say look if you're looking for that five b's demand generation framework head to the b2b playbook it's the free version for you to do it yourself now if you want the paid fast way it's the b2b incubator Sure. Thank you, George. Thank you, everyone who has joined in. Uh, see you next to next week, which will be probably the last LinkedIn Live of the year. And uh, I'll see you all. Bye. Bye. Thank you. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.